0: Well, welcome. Thank you so much for coming to our next Agora Conversations. Hello, if you joined us yesterday for our conversation about sexuality. Uh, Today, we're moving on to the topic of the church as a prophetic voice on climate justice. Now, we wanted to talk about this issue because it's an issue that affects the whole world. It's an issue that affects our church and it's an issue that is often not talked about enough and not focused on enough in our churches and so we wanted to bring it to the fore and continue the conversation as uh, the importance of the church as a witness and in addressing uh, and being part of tackling such a significant and colossal issue in our world. Um, we've got a, a wonderful panel of speakers that are going to be sharing their knowledge and experience on this topic. And there's going to be an opportunity for you as well to ask questions. And so you'll see information on the screen for our Slido. Uh, you can use the QR code or you can use the website address and you can go on to Slido and post your question at any point during the conversation and we will try and address those towards the end. And so do make sure that you make use of the Q&A because we'd love for this to be an interactive session. Uh, first of all, I'd love to show you a video. Uh, some of you may have seen this. This is something that we put together towards the end of last year over the time that COP26 was happening. And it's a, it was a way of us drawing attention to the scale of the issue of climate change in a short, punchy video. So some of the statistics that were shared in that video will be familiar to some of you, some of them may be quite eye-opening, um, but we wanted to just unpack this issue a little bit more and how the church can engage in this. But first of all, can I ask our panel to introduce themselves? Simo, why don't you start?
1: Hi everyone, my name is Simo Frestadius, I'm the Dean of Research at Regents Theological College and I'm also a member of the Agora team.
2: Hi, I'm Abs Adakea and I'm the youth pastor at Encounter Church in Birmingham and I'm a psychological therapist with children and young people.
3: I'm Malcolm Duncan. I am a local church pastor and part of the new Agora team.
0: Great, thank you. I'm going to be asking some questions of our panel. As I said, do make use of the Q&A as well. Malcolm, can I start with you? What do we mean by the term climate justice? We've used this in the title of our seminar. What does it actually mean?
3: So it's a definition, it's a, it's a phrase that refers to the reality that um, the developed, and I use that in quoted quote-unquote terms, the developed sections of global society have benefited from the way in which the planet has been treated or mistreated over many, many decades, and that those countries that are developing or that didn't or don't have as strong an infrastructure as the rest of the developed world are the ones that suffer most when climate crisis rises, and when there are changes in temperature, or changes in weather patterns, and the poverty that is created by that those changes, uh, and the economic impact of those changes, is felt worst, and most profoundly, by the people who have benefited from that treatment of the planet least. So it's a, it's a term that refers to the fact that the, 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 the the parts of the world that have benefited from the way in which we have extracted resources and treated the planet, the ones that have benefited most are paying least, and the ones that have benefited least feel the greatest impact of it.
0: Great, thank you. Simo, over to you. Why is this something that we as Pentecostals should actually even care about?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I think um, I sometimes hear my fellow Pentecostal brothers and sisters um, say, oh, this climate justice, the environment, its a..." It's a new secular religion influenced by New Age spirituality and we as Christians, we have a, a deeper hope. And I think in response to that, I often say, yes, it is true that we as Christians do have a deeper hope. But that's exactly why we should be concerned about climate justice, because we believe in a God who is transforming all of creation, the seen and the unseen. And as part of the seen, um, that includes the, the creation, God's, God's creation. And I suppose really kind of th- three theological reasons why I think all of us should be very concerned about this particular issue. There are also practical reasons, missional reasons, and perhaps we'll explore some of those. But Let me just offer three theological reasons why all of us should care about it. First, there's a clear biblical mandate in Genesis 1-2 to to look after God's creation. The first commandment given to humanity is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over all living things. Unfortunately, we have often assumed that to have dominion means to use and to abuse something for our own benefits. But if we continue with that Genesis narrative, we very quickly read Genesis 2.15, where Adam is put into the garden to work it and to keep it, to look after it effectively. And moreover, if you think of the second Adam, namely Christ, he teaches us if you want to lead, if you want to be in a place of authority, you've got to serve, not to lord it over others. So if we apply this Christian principle, the example of Christ, to have dominion is to serve, is to look after, is not to abuse or to domineer. So that's the first reason. There's a kind of a creation account teaches us to look after God's creation. Second, as Pentecostals, we have always emphasized the centrality of the day of Pentecost being filled with the Spirit in Acts 2. But often we've not connected the fact that the spirit of Pentecost that dwells in us is also the spirit of creation. That very same spirit that was hovering over the face of the waters, that together with God's word created everything that exists, that same spirit lives in us. The same spirit empowers us. And therefore, I think God gives us the resource to steward and to look after the creation, as we're told in Genesis 1 and 2. Third. Our eschatology and future hope calls us to look after all things, including the environment. The Apostle Paul refers to current creation groaning for it to be set free from its bondage to corruption in Romans 8, 21 and 22. The point is that God's plan of reconciliation is not just for humans, but for all of creation, including the non-human natural realm. This means that as part of the wider biblical narrative, the new heavens and the new earth should probably be understood as renewed heaven and earth. To put it differently, God will make all things new by transforming what is. In God's second creation, if you like, he's not creating out of nothing, but he's creating from something that is this world. So this means that we must not neglect the natural realm, which God deems worthy of transformation. As I was thinking about this, um, I was reminded of God's words, Jesus' words to Apostle Peter in Acts. Ten, and echoing them, what God has made clean, good, worthy of transformation, we must not call common or unclean.
0: Thanks, Imo. Um, you, you referenced there at the start about the fact that you know this isn't always something that's been part of the church and part of uh, our discourse and our teaching and our theology. Malcolm, can you just share a little bit about what do you think it would take for this issue to become something that's part of the core identity of Elam?
3: I think there are several things that need to happen for us. I, I, I think very often our Pentecostal heritage, which we celebrate, is quite personal. It's quite pietistic. And it's quite about me and how God blesses me and how God will save me and rescue me and help me. But I think that there is a a Pentecostal theology that the spirit is saviour, healer, baptiser and coming king of a community, of the whole earth. So I describe that as kind of pavement Pentecostalism. That actually for this to become mainstream in our movement, it has to be mainstream in our preaching it has to be mainstream in our teaching. It has to be mainstream in our youth work, in our community work. It has to be mainstream in our discipleship understanding. So, you know, when we, when we talk to people about what it means to be a follower of Christ, we will often talk about obedience. We will talk about following. We will talk about conversion. We will talk about baptism. We will talk about service. We'll talk about spirit baptism. We'll talk about proclamation of the gospel. I think this is as important this is so important that it needs to sit alongside these things so that... In, I, I don't, maybe I'm a bit pessimistic. You're more hopeful than me, Catherine. I think you're also uh, much more gifted in, in, in this area. I think that this may not change in my lifetime. But I would like as an old man to be at an Elam conference where the main stage is occupied by this subject and people... Clap and weep and celebrate and get as excited about this as they do about healing or deliverance or anything else in our pentecostal heritage
0: it 's such an interesting point that you make about how easy it is in our churches to focus on ourselves and for our prayer from the front to be about you know individual healing and are you expecting a miracle and where do you need to see breakthrough? Um, and of course, you know, we, we know that we need to look further out, um, but how much are our churches engaged in focusing their prayers and their thinking and their theology outwards? Uh, it's a great challenge, uh, which leads us on to, um, in fact, the, the title of this year's ELS is Mission Hearted. Um, and I think this term mission is a very interesting one in terms of what do we as Pentecostals understand to be mission? Simo, depending on our understanding of mission, it can affect what we actually do and uh, how we approach uh, outreach and issues of justice. Can you just talk a little bit about this term mission and our understanding of it?
1: Yeah, I think one of the one of the things I most cherish about our Elim and Pentecostal heritage is that we've always been mission-hearted. I think it's part of our DNA to use that language. That said as Pentecostals, I think sometimes we have had a slightly truncated view of the gospel or the good News. In other words, in our theology, as Malcolm has already alluded to, we tend to start with the fall, not with creation. And we have interpreted both the fall and salvation very individualistically. This means that in our missional practice, we have tried to get people saved as quickly as possible, get them into the church, and then keep them in the church so they don't backslide until the Lord comes back. Sometimes this is referred to as lifeboat theology. People are out there in the sea, we get them into the lifeboat keep them in the lifeboat until the lifeboat is raptured into the air to meet the Lord in the the skies. Uh, Now, forgive me, that's slightly perhaps caricaturing uh, to some extent, but I think this type of understanding of mission has meant that when it comes to broader issues of social justice or climate justice, at best they're seen as kind of nice things to do if we have time, but at worst they're seen as distractions from the main thing that we should be doing. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting that we should not evangelize or call people to put their faith in Christ. Of course, we need to do that. But as we've already looked at some theological principles of what we are called to do as humans, the gospel is also so much more than that. It's actually much better news than we often think it is. Interestingly, reflecting on mission, the Church of England in 1980s, They came up with their five marks of mission, and many of you will be familiar with that. But let me just remind you of them. They said it's to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, two, to teach and baptize and nurture new believers, three, to respond to human needs by loving service, four, to seek to transform unjust structures of society, to challenge violence of every kind and to pursue peace and reconciliation, and five, to strive to safeguard the integrity of creation and sustain and renew the life of the earth. Interestingly, although we are a missional movement, as Elim, we don't have such a statement or a developed theological document that identifies this is how we understand mission. This is our missiology. A few of us, we've been looking with the NLT or asked the NLT for permission. Can we start producing one? And uh, I think we're in the process. But I I fear that so often we have had missional zeal, but not always according to biblical Knowledge And therefore, I think, like with Malcolm, I think we have to maintain our Pentecostal missional zeal. But there's a need to recalibrate things. And not in light of what the world is offering, but actually in light of the Bible. In light of a broader understanding of what the Scriptures have revealed to us. And what Christ is doing out there, as well as the Spirit and the Father.
0: Great, thank you. It's helpful to develop that understanding of the term mission so that our missiology does match up with what the Bible says. Um, Abs, if I can start with you, but it's a question for all of you. I always think it's good to identify where the challenges can be so that we know how we can communicate well on this topic to inspire people and to engage them. What do we think are the barriers to people engaging with this topic?
2: I think that actually, similarly to what we've said about um, our the way that we view the gospel and seeing it as individual, like quite in, in quite an individualistic way, um, when we don't necessarily recognise that reconciliation includes reconciliation between us and our planet, then it gets missed from our priorities. Um, and I think with that, when we're also looking at just the scale of the issues, when we talk about climate crisis. You know um, the idea that uh, one hundred and sixty animals have been become extinct in the last ten years, or that one hundred and thirty two million people are expected to be pushed into extreme poverty due to um, climate crisis by twenty thirty. That's a really big problem that is hard to see how my recycling is going to make a difference to. Um, and so that I think provokes this kind of learned helplessness about the situation and a bit of complacency as well and that makes it hard to engage with in an, in a really active way and consistently as well
0: that's really helpful simo can i come to you what what do you think are the barriers
1: yeah, i mean i think they've been identified i think for me i think there's theological issues there for, for for many of us it's not been part of our church tradition it's not something that we're familiar with and i think that the big thing is we don't know where to start it's such a big issue, um, you know, speaking with my kids, you know, particularly a seven year old. You know, sometimes it can be, we're almost panicking. <laughs> what can we do? And I think that can, be, that can be a real challenge. And I think the way forward is to start with, with small steps.
0: Malcolm, do you um, want to share that?
3: I think there are many other things one could add. I, I, I think I might be slightly more worried about traditional Pentecostal theology around end times Um, because I think that very many people in our churches when you try to talk about climate justice will say but it's all going to get burned up anyway it's all going to be rolled up like a scroll anyway and actually so I, I think there's quite a strong theology of a destructive recreation rather than the kind of biblical idea that God might take the seed of what is and transform it into something else. So, actually, I think we've got to name those barriers, and I think that's a really big barrier for many, uh, and for many Pentecostals, this is nothing. This is simply a distraction, and because we haven't been engaged as well as we could have been, I think the the the, the very active, uh, perhaps belligerent, protagonistic voices of eco warriors um, have the ascendancy, and as a result. Conservative theology looks with suspicion on this. Um, I thought it was interesting that Rachel's session earlier on, which was fantastic, she was very clear to identify her. I'm not one of those neoliberal feminists. Um, identifying herself as in a biblically rooted understanding of womanhood, and, uh, but almost having to apologize for doing so. I think we face that, that when people hear us talking about climate justice, they think, oh, another one of these eco-warriors. And actually, the only reason that that's in the ascendancy is because somehow we might have failed to say there's a really strong biblical narrative around looking after the planet. Not, and I don't like the word dominion, as, as Simo has identified. I think we are partners of this creation, and this creation is continuing. We don't own it. We don't, we don't run it. We are partners with God in the creation. And, and there's a whole journey to help people see the possibility of it. That is, But you have to deal with some of that negativity first, I think.
0: Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point, isn't it, talking about this uh, almost an abdication of responsibility yeah. from the church that, you know, where we should have been leading the way on this and we haven't, and so others might have filled the place that, that actually it should be us that and are maybe, And maybe,
3: maybe there's a little bit, Catherine, of, in all of the things that we've been looking at yesterday, today, and tomorrow in the Agora Conversation, and the work that the team is looking on uh, on behalf of the movement, none of it is short-term, none of it's quite as sexy as seeing something happening in a room you know this is really you're saying this is this is a lifetime and then another lifetime and then another lifetime and maybe the conviction that some people have that Jesus is going to return soon um diminishes any sense of creation responsibility because we think well it's we haven't got that long so why worry about it
0: Whereas if we can feed 7,000 people tomorrow, it is is easier, isn't it, in that sense than actually we've got to invest weeks and months and years and lifetimes into an issue.
1: Yeah, and I think as Pentecostal's following from Malcolm's point about the imminent return of Christ, and I believe Christ is coming back, I'm looking forward to that day. But often that has meant that we've not been good at kind of investment ministries. These are long-term issues, just like education would be another example. Because, you know, we need to invest into the next 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 years. The Lord may come back, but he may not during that time. So we need to think long term. But also, secondly, I think it takes humility because we've not been involved in the conversation. Say, sorry, guys, we're only joining in now. And that's often, it can be a bit embarrassing that we should have been concerned about this, but we haven't. But I guess the the way is just to say, sorry, here we are. So it takes humility and courage to, to join the conversation late.
0: And I think, you know, if, if as we learn and develop and grow in our knowledge of this, then actually our, our embarrassment will hopefully turn into a confidence of, you know, we have something to say on this. And, and actually, we have something really important to say because we're followers of Jesus. Um, uh, feel free to pose questions uh, if you want to.
4: I'm foot in both worlds. So um, I, I live a very unusual pastoral ministry life. Um, we are so far behind the business community on this. Um, look up B Corp, you know, look what some of the business community are trying to do to bless the world. ESG, um, which is environmental, social and governmental um, standards that are being set across the business community. In 10 years time, you're not going to be able to get borrowing and finance unless you have a policy and activity in this area. You just won't get it. The green finance stuff is coming. So you won't be able to do a new development, new church development. You won't be able to build anything unless you are addressing this issue head on. Um, you know, here we are drinking water from plastic bottles and we don't even have a recycling bucket to stick the plastic in this place. So we are so far behind that you can, few can forget attracting the millennials and the young to your church unless you have this as one of the top five in your agenda as a church. You can just forget it. And um, one of the things that I come back to on my Pentecostal roots is the belief that the gifts of the spirit that God gives, such as the gift of knowledge and wisdom. And oh, my gosh, are we crying out for that right now? are to operate more in the field and the marketplace and in the activities and the decisions and the discernment that we need in a business framework, in a, in a Christian ministry framework, and what is the distinction between the two when you actually do it day in, day out. And, and so I sit in, in the meetings I'm in when I'm trying to think about how we're going to afford to solar an entire leisure center roof and where are the grants and what's available and who's working on this and meeting with different groups. I'm sitting there saying, God, give me the gift of wisdom so I know what to do in this moment. How can I properly steward the finances? And I think our Pentecostal theology has become trapped, and certainly when we start looking at the operation of the Spirit, trapped into a framework of the Spirit of God moves at particular times in the service, in particular moments in the prayer meeting, at particular spaces and times and places. And we've forgotten that the Spirit of God is without limitation. and He is in all places. And so one of the, if there is a question, one of the questions I have is, God is already at work. But sadly, he's having to work through people that don't know his name because the people that do know his name aren't listening. And so, you know, you've got the Bill Gates of this world that are funneling billions into trying to solve this problem. And yet we are the carriers of the Spirit of God who are opening our ears to his gifts of wisdom and discernment. And my, if there is a tragic call that comes from my heart, is why hasn't the church positions itself to be the innovators and the problem solvers and the solution makers? And I think you're right. We've become trapped into our theology of thinking, well, it's all going to burn anyway, so the world can go to hell, we're going to heaven. How unholy is that framework? You
0: know, I love the point that you made about innovation because actually Holy Spirit is creative and innovative and and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, then we should be coming up with ideas and uh, solutions that nobody's even thought of yet because they're from God. Um, You mentioned as well about young people, and it's a really good point because... um, So Tearfund and Youthscape did uh, a survey uh, a couple of years ago amongst young people and asked them how many cared about this issue, how many cared about climate justice and 9 out of 10 of them said they thought it was a really important issue and then they were asked how many of your churches are prioritising this and 1 out of 10 said that their churches were doing anything about this. And yet we see that young people really care about it. Nine out of ten of them have said that they think it's really important. It's young people who have taken the lead. It's young people who have often been on movements on this. Um, abs- why is it that they're so interested in this topic, do you think? And, and why is it that they're particularly passionate? And, and what do you think they're seeing in the church?
2: Um, in terms of the, the passion, I think, to speak to that, I think one of the main things that I notice as I listen to young people at the moment is that they don't have any sense, really, of, of trust or faith in the generations that have gone before them on many many issues but on climate justice that's a really big one namely because they would have seen in history lessons that also in geography that a lot of the problems and a lot of the evidence that scientists have been putting forward on the statistics and what the planet is going to be like in their lifetime have been the same the messages haven't changed but the impact and the movement of governments, of and um, people who have the money and the resource and the power to actually make a difference hasn't really moved at nearly fast enough a rate. And a lot of them feel quite let down about that. They feel more like they have to take many things into their own hands. So, I mean, you could mention Greta Thunberg, of course, as one example of someone who's decided to take things into her own hands. But I think that's a very striking... Like media captured example of one person compared to the number of young people who in their schools will be constantly trying to say why are you still giving us plastic bottles why are you still giving us plastic cups we don't want to use them and it's something that we came across in our youth group as well and we realized that they were really upset that in church we used paper cups and plastic cups for things and they really became part of us you know just serving in ceramic cups on a Sunday, you know, and using a dishwasher, it really wasn't that difficult um, a change. But it's a, it's a whole mindset and it's a whole perspective on what it is that they're doing. But I think also what it communicates and what has been brought up already is that the messaging on them not seeing many Christians or many churches doing much movement in this area com- communicates to their peers that Christians don't really care about the world. Which, you know, as, as if we think about our own views on justice, that's really unfair on God, <laughs> really. The, that's, that's the picture that we are putting forward. So I think many of them then probably wrestle more than many of us ever will have on what they are able to communicate to their peers about who Jesus is and what he cares about and the hope actually that we have for his restoration and reconciliation for them. They do see that a lot more in this area of climate justice because it means that, okay, if. God really does care about the planet if he created it and that's our reason that we give for why God cares about them is because God created them and he created them with a plan and a purpose and he also has a plan and a purpose for this earth and for what we are to do with it um, then actually there's hope and they can offer their friends hope in that area so they really are so much further ahead on this.
0: I love it and we definitely need to be following some of our young people and and releasing them to take the lead on this stuff in our churches don't we um, can we talk a little bit more and this is for all of you about some of the practical things that we can do in our local churches what are the kind of things you know whether it's that we're just starting out or whether it's that we've started to consider this a little bit just share some of the practical thoughts to help
2: inspire and encourage us I, I did mention that, um, you know, use of disposables in church can make a massive difference. Depend, I mean, no matter what the group necessarily of your congregation size, actually that is a weekly, a midweek, every single usage, every single thing that is being done in that church can be looked at. Um, and so, EcoChurch is a resource that we've used in our church to kind of just do a little bit of an audit about how um, your building works, about what is m- more ecologically viable and trying to be more sustainable long term. And that can just help really highlight some areas, many things I'd not even really thought of at all about, you know, even the type of roof you have and how you're using water, lots of different things um, that in such a, by making such small changes even when just making a new purchase, you can make quite a massive difference and communicate that it's something that you care about as well.
3: As a local pastor, uh, we have um, been wrestling with this for, in the different contexts that I've been pastoring for many years. In the context that I'm now in, there was pretty much nothing about environmental awareness even let alone climate justice. So um, when I went four years ago, as we gathered a team of people who were passionate about it and created a working group and said, how are we going to change the mind of this church over a generation, over 20 years? So let's not do it all at once. Let's not shout at people. Let's not browbeat them and tell them that they're useless. Let's tell the story of a better way of living. So what we did, we've used EcoChurch stuff. I think tier fund stuff is really good. Really, really, really good. Ruth Valerio, who's the Advocacy Director at Tear Fund, Catherine's on the board at Tear Fund, um, has done some really good work. Her book, L is for Lifestyle, is worth giving, encouraging your church to buy, giving them a copy of it. It's even sourced ethically, and it's a really good thing to get small groups to talk about. So what we did was we, got, we kind of said, okay, where are we now? And the gold standard, what would that look like? And what are the steps that we need to take that will get us from here to bronze, from here to silver, and from here to gold? And that included things like, um, not just actually the church building. We we do recognise the building needs changed, and how we use stuff in the building. But how do we get people everywhere they live, how they get to the building, how they work, the clothes that they wear, the cars that they drive, the food that they eat, the vegetables that they use, seasonal produce... How do we make this as natural to people as breathing so that they think, actually, I don't really need to buy asparagus every day. I will buy it. Not that many people in Dundonald buy asparagus, <laughs> but I will buy it in season. I will learn to eat seasonally. Um, so so we, have, we have set these standards that we're aiming for. And, and uh, we're, we're still in bronze. So <laughs> I, I'd love to say we're in gold. Five years in nearly, we're in bronze but we're not at the bottom of bronze anymore. I think it'll probably take 10 or 15 years to get to the gold standard. Um, and so that includes things like use of cups, um, instant fashion, and everything that we, every, all of them that we do, we say, this is something you can do as an individual. This is something we can do as a church. And this is something we can do as a citizen. Here's something that you can advocate for. Here's something that you can practice. And here's something that you encourage somebody else to do from toilet twinning, to solar panels, to LED light bulbs, to getting electric power points installed in the car park for electric cars, which is proving particularly problematic, um, to better boilers, better heating systems, fixing our windows, insulation, the way we use mics, um, the way we run conferences, the cups that we drink from, the water that we drink the food that we cook when we're having conferences. The way we do all of that, we're working with a company called Environmental Street Furniture to see if we can get all of our lights outside, solar panelled and all charging stations on the wall that are powered by the sun. That's problematic in Northern Ireland too. So, so we, have, we have a four-stage approach to it, but we also teach it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we are getting our small groups to talk about it. We are running um, clothes exchanges. And saying to people, instead of buying new clothes all the time, why not swap some? Uh, Why not think about using refill shops? We're looking at opening a refill shop, which will be really interesting if that kicks off, and encouraging people to refill their pasta and their rice and their salt and all of those things.
0: Simo, tell us some practical ways. Yeah, I think we've
1: had two very comprehensive answers. I think the only thing I would add is obviously it's an individual issue. Change starts with, with me. I look at my own life local church, but also as a movement denomination. So again, when I refer to the Church of England, I think they've got a goal to be carbon neutral by 2030. We as a movement have not got a goal yet, a target. So I guess all of us with our local churches, but also more broadly with the, with the movement, I think we need to set, set targets if we want to be a prophetic voice, I think, on this issue.
0: Great, well, as you mentioned being a prophetic voice and, and that's the title of our seminar, The Church as a Prophetic Voice on Climate Justice. How can we be?
1: I think doing those things that we have talked about, but really I think it starts by setting our own house in order. I think that the change needs to start from, from there. And as I've referred to a few times, I think really seeing that this is not a peripheral issue theologically, it's not a peripheral issue missiologically, uh, and actually even practically. A lot of the changes we've talked about will save churches money, <laughs> you know, actually in that sense. I don't think that should be the reason we do it, but it's an an added added bonus. Uh, So I think we should see it as not a peripheral matter, but a central aspect of who we are, what God has called us to do as as part of our mission.
3: I actually think that the prophetic voice is really uncomfortable too. Like I I think when Gareth was sharing a little bit of what he was saying, all of us felt a little bit uncomfortable. Not because you were saying it, but because it's it's actually quite hard to hear. And it's hard to be confronted with the reality that this what we are doing right now is not good enough. And and you've got to be made there is an uncomfortableness about the prophetic, isn't there? Uh, I think that. And I think also on the positive side of being a prophetic voice, you know, if there is a, a church movement in its broadest sense in the world that is connected with the global poor, it is Pentecostalism. So actually we are more connected with the global poor than every other stream of the church in the world and the global south and uh, the, the global majority world. We're more connected into those spaces. So actually, there's a huge amount of learning and a huge amount of storytelling and a huge amount of innovation. And I that that to kind of I think sometimes the prophetic voice is a bit uncomfortable. I think it also has to try some new stuff, but I think we do have something to say about being a church that is connected to the global south in a way that can... can Proverbs thirty-one 31.8 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. Be a voice for the voiceless. And your sisters and brothers, my sisters and brothers, have their houses swept away because of climate crisis. It's, it's, it's our family's children that are dying. It, it, it's the people that we will share eternity with are feeling the brunt of this and actually a really uncomfortable prophetically important thing to say to the church in Britain is your allegiance to your brothers and sisters is too low you're more worried about what's happening in your community and whether you're popular than the fact that our family is suffering because of our actions that has to change
0: yeah thanks Malcolm it's a real challenge absolutely
2: um, yeah, I just, in terms of speaking um, prophetically, I think, well, when we go back to the beginning, that, you know, the the ground was cursed because of our own disobedience and our own misalignment with God, and so in, in with the sins of the first Adam is, you know, the redemption of the second, and that actually what we're asking um, of our congregations, like for me with the young people and the connect groups that we do as well, is to actually just partner with God in what he is already doing. And that um, in the same way that, you know, we want to be where the spirit is moving and, and move there and, and heal where God has prompted us to, that actually that, that's the same for the ground and that our relationship with the earth as we as we nurture it actually improves. And that's, the, that's God's purpose for it for us as well, and that I think I think it comes really with just realigning with the heart of God. Yeah, for our, our brothers and sisters on the other side of the world, or Tierfun call them our global neighbors, which I find really helpful as well. Um, but it's also for us that actually we are made more whole as we improve how we relate to our planet, and as we improve how we relate to other people, and as we improve how we relate to ourselves, we become more like Jesus in that. Um, And there's so much hope in that and joy to bring as well.
0: Wow, what a beautiful picture. Thank you. So we're going to take a
2: moment for you to have a bit of a chat amongst yourselves
0: and your questions for you to talk to your neighbour about are, firstly, what is your church currently doing on this issue? And secondly, what one thing, it might be something that you've heard, that you've been inspired to do, what one thing are you going to do based on what you've heard today. So what are you currently doing and what one thing are you going to do from here Okay, great, if you can wrap up your conversations and I'm sure you can carry them on after the end of the session. It is hugely encouraging to hear so much conversation happening. Clearly, there is stuff happening in churches and plans for you to do more stuff, and so I'm really excited to hear that. So just to come to your questions, thank you for submitting those. There's a couple of questions around resources and uh, organisations that we can partner with. So um, let me give you a couple of recommendations. So tier funds are uh, Christian organisation who work in combating extreme poverty across the world and they have a huge amount of resources on the topic of climate justice. They have resources that can help in small groups, in churches and in youth groups and uh, resources that you can use to preach on this topic. Um, reading, research, Uh, so you can have a look at the Fund website and they also have a a learning website so uh, where some of their more research and uh, theological discussions on this topic is and so I'd really encourage you to have a look at that. They also have something called the Climate Emergency Toolkit and so this is a framework to help you as a church to explore, almost going from a, a standing start to um, uh, being able to confidently engage in this topic, not only with your church, but also with local organizations around you. Um, and on that topic, there's also Eco Church, which has been referenced, and that's similarly a framework to help you to look at a number of different issues that you can respond on. So whether it's looking at your building, as, as has been talked about, or your teaching, or your topics in your small group, uh, and so, Yeah, two resources that I'd really encourage you to have a look at. Great uh, resources for churches. So let me come to a couple of the other questions. So somebody has asked, climate justice is highly politicised, often linked with anti-capitalist, LGBTQ worldview. How do we lead the way without joining the other views expressed?
2: I think in everything and everyone trying to do something good... Many people will have their other agendas that they can attach to this. Every area of justice, this issue, will keep coming back because there are others with differing values that share this one. So I think it's important for us to constantly come back to the reason that why we're doing whatever it is that we're doing and be prayerful and support one another in trying to make our voice heard as well. I think that there's, you know, we, as Christians, there's something like th- three billion Christians globally, actually, together we can also have a stance, uh, a way of talking about climate justice that is different from from anyone else. Um, so I think us shying away from that for fear of sounding a bit like someone else is actually possibly flipping the question the wrong way around because this is an area where we can unify with people and and demonstrate love um in a way that we understand and kind of and redeem how that conversation goes in other parts of of the world Um, So another question around how churches can
0: tackle local climate issues. For example, a big debate over an airport expansion is in my town. It provides jobs and funding, but it will increase pollution. What do we do with these kind of local issues and how we can engage as a church? Um,
3: I I, I think that can be quite complicated. Um, But I I, I think engaging in any issue of public theology or public morality or ethics is complicated. Because you're, you're always trying to balance... Um, different positive and negative arguments. It's a positive argument to argue for um, economic sustainability and employment and for the value of people and the dignity of work, both of which are biblical principles. Um, I guess where in my advocacy, uh, both in local and in kind of wider stuff, there's always a a fundamental question about the, the ethics of what's happening. And and whether or not we are being driven by a fear of people not coming to our church because we'll take a stand, Um, anything that is driven by fear is probably not very healthy. And most of the issues that I deal with in public theology, it is the, the, the group of people that I, I don't mean I'm fearful of most, but the group of people that I have to check in my heart, I don't allow their voices to be too loud, are normally those that are already in the church because I know that some would want you not to talk about it at all. Um, There there have been local airport expansion programs or motorway expansion programs that, that, that have happened in communities that I have led or near communities where I've led. And it can be very difficult for a local church to take a stand on that. So you have to do it very, very carefully. And it's one of those areas where working with your leadership team and working with the wider congregation is helpful. And more often than not, I think that the solution is simply saying, there's going to be a new motorway here. Let's as a church have a conversation about how we feel about that and enable a dialogue where people can voice, well, it's going to bring jobs, or others are going to voice and say it's going to destroy the planet. So you don't actually have to say, is there a church position on something like that? Does there all? Why do we always have to have a church position on local expansions? Why can't we have a church conversation about local expansions and allow individual congregants to make their own decisions about that? But the one thing you're not going to do is highlight the issue by ignoring it. So create a space for a healthy conversation about a sustainable town in the future and what you think. Teach about the planet, teach about advocacy, teach about active citizenship, enable dialogues, get people from the two sides of the conversation to come and have a hustings on it. I think that's a far better way of engaging in some of these things than either saying nothing because you're afraid are saying, everybody in this church must be against this. One well,
0: of the questions says, how do we get young people to see the link between Jesus and climate justice as opposed to pursuing secular visions without Jesus at the centre? Uh, you've probably seen young people get excited or passionate about justice without necessarily realising the connection between the, the God of justice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how would you answer that and how can we equip and encourage our young people?
2: Um, I think one of the things that we did in our group is we did a series on righteous anger about the fact that actually in the area of justice and injustice, there's, there's a lot to be angry about and that anger serves, it, uh, it helps us, it energizes us to do things and to make a difference, but that with anger, we can also lean into hatred. And what's really important is that we are able to realign with the heart of God and do things in love and make sure that the choices that we're making, even the people that we're speaking to when we're frustrated with, that we're able to have those conversations in a loving way. And so where they then see that there's a group that they're supporting or they're they're tweeting a lot or sharing a lot on Instagram and they're getting really, really angry and hyped up, it's actually how loving is that behavior and is there a way of doing this better? And often, you know, in those conversations, as I'm having them, I'm like, okay, so what can I offer that we can do instead? (laughs) So that's where we've done, you know, we've gone to the tier fund um, where I did a something with the C of E diocese in Birmingham and they had this youth um, social justice day and we brought the young people there and we let Tirfun talk to them about loads of other things very active uh, activism like you know the same sort of idea of getting together of raising money of protesting in different ways of you know um, really challenging their own parents, of challenging um, the way that we do things and to be active in doing that, but doing that from a position of love rather than hatred.
0: Yeah, Yeah, brilliant, thank you. Uh, One of the questions here says, in what ways can the church engage with climate justice missionally rather than being distracted by the politics? Any comments on that one?
3: (laughs) Do you want to say something, Simon?
1: Yeah, I mean, I suppose, I think it's starting from our theological, biblical basis and moving from there uh, rather than necessarily aligning ourselves with any particular political party or political agenda. Um, but I suppose all theology is political to some extent. You can't, you can't get, a, get away from that. So this idea that is not a political issue, I think for me, is a, is a misnomer because, well, Jesus was very political, not necessarily in the traditional sense, but in a Christ-like sense, everything he affected or did affected the polis, the city, society. Uh, in one way or another. So I think in some ways we can't get away from the politics, but I think to make sure that we ground our practice in our theology rather than
3: in the ideology or agenda of another another party, I think it's really important. I think that um, if, you put on a youth event, if you put on an event in your community aimed at young people or young adults, for example, to talk about climate justice, you're going to get far more people at it that are not yet followers of Jesus than if you put... An event on for something that for us as Christians is a really important issue but for the wider culture may not quite be I think the essence of a missiological journey is not to start where you are it's to start where your community is and I think very often what we end up doing as churches is three big words don't worry about them too much. But we start with our ecclesiology, which shapes our missiology, which shapes our Christology. So the way we do church and what we believe shapes the way we do mission. And the way we do mission shapes the kind of Jesus that we present. That's entirely the wrong way around. We start with Jesus, and the way he does mission, and the way he does mission, we, cut, we, we mimic. And that shapes the way we do church. So actually, I can think of very few more exciting and less controversial issues for the public debate that will get people into your building to hear the wider Christian worldview that you have than talking about climate justice. You could talk about gender, but it's slightly more controversial. (laughs) And you're going to face more challenges. You can talk about sexuality, you'll pack the place out but you're going to have to be particularly careful about how you navigate. I don't think you shouldn't do that, by the way. We do do that. If you talk about climate justice, actually, this is one of the very rare things where we should be on the same side. This is a concentric circle that can really get people motivated. Imagine them coming to your church building to talk about the fact that you want to increase the profile of climate justice in your community. What climate justice advocate is not going to say, at last, a church who wants to do that, are they going to go away with the worst impression of Jesus as a result of that? Not in a million years. As far as the political question goes, I didn't laugh because I was being facetious earlier on. I just don't think we can avoid political engagement. We must be politically active. That doesn't mean we have to be politically aligned. I'm asked all the time, what party are you in? I'm not in any, but I am very politically active. Here's the Here's an important definition for you. A social activist, a Christian social activist wants to help somebody right in front of them. And then you help another person. And then you help another person. And then you help another person. And then at some point you think, why am I helping all these people? What's causing the problem? There's a common problem that is causing the fact that all these people need my help. At the point that you change the question from how do I help that person to how do I help these people, you become politically active. We do not only have people in the water saving people that are drowning. We need people that are gonna get out of the water, walk up the riverbed, start on the bridge, and say, fix the bridge. That's political activism in a Christian context, seeing the issues in our culture and addressing them collectively so that people don't keep drowning.
0: Brilliant. What a great way to end, Malcolm. Thank you so much. I'm going to ask you to pray for us in just a moment, in fact. Uh, But thank you so much to everybody for coming to this session and engaging with this. Uh, It's been really great to have your questions and for your discussion. I hope that those discussions that you started with your neighbour are going to continue both here at ELS and back in your churches as well. Tomorrow, we're going to be back here for our third and final Agora Conversation. We're going to be talking about the church's role in tackling violence against women. Same place, same time and so we'd love to be able to see you tomorrow.
3: God of creation. No syllable spoken in vain. Every single second of this planet's existence and everything that ever was or ever will be is dependent upon you. Forgive us when we have created a redemption story that is disconnected from the creation story. And forgive us when we have assumed that it is somebody else's problem to solve. And for our children and our children's children and the children that come after that, for our neighbors and our friends, for our brothers and sisters in the family of God, and for the poor. Help us to live lives individually and collectively that take seriously the wonderful privilege of being part of your creation. For every local church leader, for every elder, deacon, community group leader, small group leader, theologian, for every businesswoman and businessman for every ngo employee or leader present here help us to live in such a way to speak in such a way and to prioritize our lives in such a way that your glory is seen in our lives and if the fields of the if the if the trees of the field will clap their hands And if swords will be beaten into plowshares. And if lions will lie down with lambs. And houses will be built that people will live in. And old people will not be considered old at a hundred. And the myrtle tree will grow instead of the thorn bush. Then there is plenty that gives us hope that you will redeem this world. We want to be part of that now forgive us when we choose not to do something because we think it's too big we would never refuse to pray for somebody because not everybody is healed so forgive us when we choose to not engage in this issue because we don't think we can change it all help us to do what we can and to do what is in front of us and give us grace and wisdom in Jesus name Amen.